Today's message is entitled, The Greatest Gift. And our text is Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. This is the first in a three-part Advent series entitled, The Greatest Gift. So, today's message is entitled, The Greatest Gift. The series is entitled, The Greatest Gift. Next Sunday, I will preach part two of the series from Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. And on Christmas Eve, I will conclude the series preaching from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Now, as you turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, let me ask you a question. What were your Christmas traditions? Now, we come from so many different countries here and cultures at Palm Vista. I'm sure that the answer would be fascinating to compile in a little booklet These traditions span from the southern states of the United States to the southern tip of South America. We all have traditions that we grew up with around Christmas. Now, one of those traditions, celebrated by many around the globe, is Three Kings Days, or in Spanish, El Día de los Reyes. Three Kings Days takes place annually on January the 6th, marking the end of the wise men's 12-day journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to give gifts to Jesus. Now, instead of leaving milk and cookies beside the tree on the evening of December 24th, children celebrating Three Kings Day typically leave grass and water in a box under their beds on the evening of January the 5th to feed the king's camels in hopes that the three kings, Melchor, Gaspar, and Baltasar, would return the favor with gifts of their own on the morning of January 6th. Now, Three Kings Day's festivities come in many different shapes and forms. Many communities host a Three Kings Day parade. South Florida has hosted such a parade for decades. Last year's parade proceeded down Calle Ocho in Little Havana, and the Grand Marshals were our own Three Kings, Chris Bosch, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James of the world champion Miami Heat basketball team. Now, some of you may have fond memories of celebrating Three Kings Days as a child. If you grew up in America and were Latin, you received gifts on both December the 25th and January 6th. Nice. But Three Kings Day is part truth and, quite frankly, part myth. I mean, it's kind of like Santa Claus but with biblical characters, leading us to today's text, because in it, we find some of those biblical characters. So let's read together Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and let's read with a discerning eye to learn what part of Three Kings Day tradition is truth and what part is myth. Matthew, first book of the New Testament, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, 
in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared and sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The Bible tells us that sometime after Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the reign of Herod, the king of the Jews, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem looking for one who had been born king of the Jews. They were led to Jerusalem by a star, and they came so that they might worship him. But the Bible does not pinpoint a specific day they came to Jerusalem. Only that it was after Jesus' birth. That's what verse 1 says. Scholars say, some scholars say, that it could have been as late as two years after his birth. But the Bible does make it clear, and that is something we need to pay attention to, where Jesus was born. See, he was born in the royal city of Bethlehem of Judea. David's birthplace. And according to the Old Testament scripture, cited in verse 6 of Matthew 2, which is quoting Micah 5.2, the birthplace of the Messiah, the king of Israel, had to be Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Judea, which is in fact where the wise men found Jesus. Now, as for the wise men, well, friends, the Bible does not go into great detail about them. We know from history that they were experts in astrology, interpretation of dreams, and other secret arts. As a matter of fact, the Greek word that we translate here, wise men, is the Greek word magos, and we get from it the word magic. We know that these wise men were, and here's key, Gentiles. And most likely they were from Babylon, from the east. And though it is a beautiful thought that they might be kings... It is a baseless thought, and one that is most likely more myth than truth. Sorry. And the Bible never says that there were three wise men. That number probably arose from deducing the number of gifts they brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But what is truth? What the Bible clearly states is that these pagan Gentile astrologers were led by God the Father to Jesus by a star. Now, how can I say that? 
And how did he use that star to lead them? Well, I don't know how he used the star to lead them, but here's how I can say that. I can be sure of this because the Bible teaches me this. God, God the Father, God created the stars. And God controls their movements. And God is the one who led them to Jesus. And I can say that because Jesus himself, Jesus himself would say in John 6.44, John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father, that scripture, John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, God the Father drew these Gentiles to God the Son, and Scripture clearly tells us from their own words, as we read just now, why did they come? They came, look at the end of verse 2, we have come to worship him. What is going on in this text? What is God doing here? This part is true. It's in the Bible. It is true. But it almost seems mythical. I mean, we see God leading a bunch of Gentile astrologers, pagans, who do not know God, and they're quite frankly not seeking God. They're not part of God's people. But God leads them to Jesus, the king of his people. Why? And this is the main point. Why? Because God is now including a people who were no people to be his people in Jesus, the true king of Israel. That's the takeaway here. That's the headline. That's what God wants you to know. This is truth. Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah of Israel. He's the Savior of the world. And friend, if you are here today, God has drawn you here. And God is telling you to fall down and worship Jesus just like the wise men did. That is the main point of the text, friends. Worship Jesus Christ. Worship Jesus Christ. And God uses wise men. Just like He used the despised shepherds To announce Jesus' birth, shepherds were at the bottom rung of society in Israel. Now he uses pagan Gentile astrologers to make this pronouncement. This is the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews didn't even know who the king of the Jews was. That's Herod. I see a lot of irony in this text. I see God opening up the gates of the kingdom of God to all men, to all women. It's not specifically a Jewish thing anymore. He is the king of the Jews, but he's far more than that. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of all creation. And he calls all men everywhere to repent and bow down and worship him, Jesus Christ. That's the point these wise men make. I mean, look what they did, friends, in verses 10 and 11. Corey read that for us. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
See, first they rejoiced exceedingly with, with great joy. I want you to note the contrast between how Herod responded to this news of the king of the Jews in verse 3 and how the wise men responded to this news of the king of the Jews in verse 10. Herod was troubled while the wise men rejoiced exceedingly. Don't you find that a bit ironical? It's not a word. Thank you. The Jews did not rejoice at the king of the Jews. The pagans who hate the Jews rejoice at the king of the Jews. Oh God, your ways are not our ways. Oh God, you take the despised and you call them. Oh God, this, this is your heart of mercy upon all mankind. Yes, through the Jews. Yes, the promise was to Abraham. Yes, God said, I'll bless the nations through you. But oh, the blessing is for all nations, for all people, a new people called to God in Christ the King. If you're here, my friend, he's calling you. And he's calling you to respond to Christ this season like the wise men did. Listen, you want to know the difference between a Christian, a true Christian on Christmas and someone who's just sentimental about Christmas? See, the sentimental person makes a huge deal about Jesus' first coming. Makes a huge deal about all the traditions. Is really happy about that. But when you start talking about Jesus coming again as the judge, wielding the sword, coming to rule and reign, they get a little nervous. Like, quit freaking me out on Christmas, man. Jesus like, shut can I just sing like Silent Night and be cool with that? But a true Christian, a true Christian serves the Lord and rejoices at his first coming. But, oh, friends, we've got a hope the other guy doesn't have. That hope is when he comes back. When he comes back, what we're living for, what we're looking for will be realized and we'll see the glory and we'll, we'll participate with that glory. Which are you? Corey alluded to this, but Leon Morris in his commentary on verse 10 says this. Matthew's expression in verse 10 indicates that they were more than mildly pleased. Actually, deliriously happy may be a little bit of an overstatement, but more like it. Deliriously happy. So this Christmas, let me ask you a question. Are you more like Herod or like the wise men? Does it trouble you, this coming of Jesus? Is it a little bit of an intrusion into your shopping schedule? Your Noche Buena schedule? Your dancing schedule? For some of us, your football watching schedule? Oops, that's me. (laughs) Or are you deliriously happy about the thing that is most important in this season? And that's not just days off from work or gifts. See, I can understand Herod being troubled. After all, he was the king of the Jews. Kind of, whoa, who's the king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. No, no, he was just born. What? He was troubled, verse 3. Now, he was the king of the Jews, but you need to know he wasn't a Jew. He was an Edomite, and he was a puppet of the Roman government. See, Herod was more interested in keeping his kingdom than in worshiping the true king. Does that describe you? Are you more interested in keeping your kingdom than worshiping the true king? How can you tell? Here's how you can tell. You ask yourself what makes you deliriously happy this Christmas season. Where is your joy located? Is it in getting all the gifts you want or in the greatest gift of all, Jesus? 
Is it in remaining ruler of your world or falling down at the feet of the true ruler of all and worshiping him? And in verse 11, we learn that when the wise men fell down to worship Jesus, they opened their treasures and offered him gifts. And in doing so, they opened up a window of revelation into Jesus and called us to worship him with our treasures, as Corey mentioned. God calls us this morning to worship Jesus Christ. Point one, worship Jesus Christ the King. Worship Jesus Christ the King. See, the Bible specifies three gifts in verse 11. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The first gift, gold, most probably helped to pay for the trip to Egypt that Joseph and Mary would take in the next couple of verses to flee Herod's attempt on the child's life. But it has a far greater meaning. James Montgomery Boyce, in his uh, commentary, helps us understand that meaning. This is what he says. It is easy to see why gold is an appropriate gift for Jesus Christ. Gold is the medal of kings. When gold was presented to Jesus, it acknowledged his right to rule. Jesus Christ was a king. As the wise men knew, he was the king of kings. The wise men pointed to his kingship with their gold. Friends, Jesus is the king. Is he the king in your life? See, Jesus has every right to rule you. Does he? Does he? Do you worship him? Do you bring the treasure of your life to him and say, you're my king? I'm not bringing you gold, I'm bringing you my life. But when I bring you my life, I do bring you my gold. I bring you everything. Does this mark you? Is he the center? How can he be the center, Al, of my life during this Christmas season? Well, I would invite you to pray. I would invite you to seek him. I would invite you to make sure that you're celebrating Advent. You can have an Advent wreath, kind of like this one with candles that will not stay up and freak everybody out because you think they're going to fall. Whoa, there you go. Trust me, it's not going to fall. Yes, worship Jesus Christ. Thank you. Our family does the Advent wreath uh, tradition. Did. They're all gone now. Married uh, in school. And, And we... We did this for a reason, because in the center of our busy schedule, we said, no, Monday nights, we're doing the Advent wreath. Men, are you leading your families and saying, Jesus is king of our budget. He's king of our time. Is he king of who you meet with this Christmas? What you do, what parties you go to, who you have over for Noche Buena, what you give, even the gifts that you purchase. Worship Jesus Christ as king this Christmas season. Point two, worship Jesus Christ the great high priest. The second gift the wise men offered Jesus was frankincense. Frankincense is an incense. No, it is not Frankenstein's cologne. It's an incense, frankincense. Used in temple worship. Now for us, it's hard for us to kind of wrap our brains around this, but let me quote again from James Montgomery Boyce's commentary. Incense was used in the temple worship. It was mixed with the oil that was used to anoint the priest of Israel. Incense gave the offering its pleasant odor. In presenting this gift, the wise men pointed to Christ as our great high priest. Why? He's the only one, the one whose whole life was acceptable and well-pleasing to his father. Jesus' life was a fragrance to God. It was incense to God. 
We worship Jesus Christ as our great high priest who makes our lives acceptable to God. Apart from Christ, our lives would have a stench in God's nostrils. But with Christ, it has a fragrant odor, an aroma that is pleasing to God because Jesus is pleasing to God. He lived his life acceptably to God every day. And we're in Christ now. Or are you? See, because Jesus was without sin, because he always did what pleased the Father, and because we worship him as our great high priest, we can have confidence to come before God in prayer and approach his throne by grace and find that grace and find that mercy that we help in our, that we need in our time of need. Do you have need? Then worship Jesus Christ as your great high priest and run to the Father who will meet your need in Christ. Jesus, our great high priest, was uniquely qualified, friends. Because of his perfect life, he was uniquely qualified to then accomplish redemption on the cross. And this points us, his death points us to the final, third and final gift offered by the wise men. Point three, worship Jesus Christ the Savior. Worship Jesus Christ the Savior. The third gift offered to Jesus was myrrh. Myrrh was, was, was a, um, a fragrance. It was like an aloe. Myrrh was used to prepare the dead for burial in the first century. They did not have mortuaries. They did not have refrigeration. So the stench of a dead body was covered by these scents, okay, by these aloes. And myrrh was one of them. I, I read this week that 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes were used to anoint Jesus' body. For the grave. A hundred pounds was used to anoint Jesus' body from the grave. So, as James Montgomery Boyce tells us in this quote, for just as gold speaks of Christ's kingship and incense speaks of the perfection of his life, so does myrrh speak of his death. Myrrh speaks of his death, friends. Listen, it would be very inappropriate for one to present a spice for embalming to an infant. I mean, imagine if this morning we would have given the Dorgelises embalming fluid as a gift for Caleb's dedication. But it was a very appropriate gift for Jesus because unlike Caleb, Jesus was born to die on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And this gift was given, myrrh was given prophetically, fulfilling Scripture that the Messiah, the King of the Jews, would suffer for the sins of His people. Look at these scriptures here on the screen. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Speaking of Jesus, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we were healed. And then Psalm 22.1, which is called a messianic psalm, predicting the Messiah and what he would go through. Psalm 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me for the words of my, from the words of my groaning? And then the fulfillment of that messianic psalm in Matthew 27.45 and 46, speaking of Jesus on the cross. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Friends, this gift of myrrh declared the truth that Jesus the Christ was to suffer and die for the sins of his people, for our sins, that they, we might be reconciled to God. Worship Jesus as your Savior. If you have never worshipped him as your Savior, if you've never known Jesus as King, High Priest, and Savior, oh, friends, Our prayer this Christmas, our prayer is that God the Father has drawn you here this morning or drawn you to listen to this uh, sermon uh, via audio and that He, He would give you the greatest gift and you would receive this greatest gift by faith and repentance and that is the gift of Jesus Christ, your Savior, your great high priest, your King. Now in verse 12, we learned that the wise men were warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod because though Herod claimed to want to worship Jesus, he in fact wanted to kill him, as does anyone who is not a Christian. It comes out in Christmas pretty strongly. So God led the wise men a different way home. And as they exited the scene, they left us with the message of Christmas. Jesus is the greatest gift of all. He is the one we are to worship. He is king. He is the great high priest. He is our savior. May God draw us as he drew the wise men to truly worship Jesus, whether for the first time, friend, this morning in conversion, or with renewed depth and and loving joy, dear believer. Jesus Christ is the greatest gift, and God calls us to worship him today. Ushers, would you please come forward at this time to service and communion, which is the sign and the seal of the covenant and the substance of our worship this morning. And as they move to serve us, and as the worship team moves to come forward to join me to lead us in song in just a moment, let me summarize God's call to you. Gold for royalty. Incense for purity of his life. Myrrh for suffering. These gifts and their meaning point to one more verse that concludes our message in communion this morning. And that verse is found in Isaiah 60, verse 6. It forms part of Isaiah's prophecy concerning Christ's second coming in glory at the end of the age. Ushers, what I'd like you to do is in just a moment, I want you to begin to serve the folks My friends, I don't know all of you here, and I want to honor God in communion. Here's here's the biblical point. If you have not bowed your life to Jesus Christ as your king, as your high priest, and as your savior, then in a moment when the ushers begin to serve us, can I just appeal to you, let the cup pass. And as it passes... Ask God to draw you to Jesus Christ that you might worship him like the wise men. For the rest of you, when you receive the cup and the bread, would you please hold the elements until I lead us all in receiving them together? Ushers, you may begin. As the ushers serve us, let me read to you Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 6. Now remember, this prophecy speaks of Jesus Christ's second coming when he comes in glory at the end of the age. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, 
and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They are all gathered together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Remember, this is talking about Jesus' second coming, when His people come. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. Oh, may your heart thrill and exult at the prospect of Jesus' second coming. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. Now, verse 6. This is the key verse. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephath. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So see, Isaiah 61 begins with, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Then Isaiah, inspired by the Lord, and shows us how the nations come to Christ's light and kings are overwhelmed by the brightness of Jesus' dawn. Then comes verse 6. Verse 6. And notice what they don't bring to Jesus here. What is it? They don't bring myrrh. They bring gold. They bring frankincense, but no myrrh. This is at His second coming. Why no myrrh at the second coming? Here's why. Because Jesus suffered once for all. That's it. On the cross. And as Corey said, when He returns, He's returning as a conquering King. Suffering's over. Suffering's over. I love what James Montgomery Boyce says in his commentary on this passage. Here's what he says. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, thank you, sir. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, a scene will be enacted that is similar to the coming of the wise men into Bethlehem. You want to know the meaning of Bethlehem? You want to know what the meaning of the wise men is? Call them three kings if you you want. That's fine with me. Here's the meaning. God brings Gentiles to himself to worship the king of the Jews. And God is giving us a, a preview. You go to the movies, you get a preview. This is a preview of his second coming. You worship Him for His first coming. You worship Him and bow down, get your face close to the ground, and bring treasures and glory in His second coming. If you're in Christ, you'll share that glory. If not, may He draw you to Him today. Because it's coming. It's coming. And the wise men prefigure it. He will reign in power. Gifts will be given to Him. But when the gifts are presented, they will be gold and incense only. Myrrh speaks of suffering. And when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, He suffered once for all for sin. Hereafter, there will be no more need for suffering. No more. Friends, let us celebrate Jesus' first coming. Let us declare His second coming. Jesus came to die the first time. He comes to rule and reign on the second time. This, this, this is the message that led to the very first Christian conversions then. May it lead to Christian conversions today in this room. May it be the message that leads to your conversion, dear unbelieving friends seated here. 
and may it be the message that leads you to worship, a renewed worship of our Lord Jesus Christ, dear Christian friend. And I speak to both of us, Christian and non-Christian. I speak to us all. Let us not miss. Let us not miss the true message of Christmas. It would be a real pity to miss the meaning of Christmas through your ignorance or through your arrogance. If you're here today, there's no more ignorance. Could be some arrogance. And it would be sad for you to see it, for you to hear it, for you to intellectually understand it, but fail to commit your life to the one born on the first Christmas in order that he might subsequently suffer for you, remove your sin forever. Friends, God does not need anything from us, but we so need something from him. And that something is forgiveness. We need a Savior, which is exactly what Charles Wesley was saying in the hymn that we sang in the opening worship set. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. So what do we bring to Christ who alone can save us? What do we bring to the one born a king? We bring nothing but faith and repentance. By faith we too present our gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. Myrrh to repent of our sin and acknowledge that what we deserve is death. But what we receive is by faith is life because Jesus died for our sins. We bring incense to acknowledge that only Jesus' life, friends, is acceptable an acceptable offering to the Father and that by His life, we too can live lives that are acceptable to the Father. And we bring gold. Gold to acknowledge Jesus' kingship in our life, His right to rule our lives. So, let us present our gifts as we celebrate communion together. And I'm going to need the elements. So, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. You were waiting for me. Thank you. Let us present our gifts as we celebrate communion together and declare faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this means. The one who was and is and is to come. The Savior of the world who came to set us free from sin and death and who will one day return to set all creation free from the bondage of corruption to establish the new heavens and the new earth. Friends, take and eat the body of Christ broken for you. Take and drink the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Let us stand and let us sing and let us cry out, Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Well, friend, if you rejoice with exceeding joy, if you are deliriously happy about Jesus, first and second coming this morning, if your faith is in Him as your King and your great High Priest, your Savior, then this blessing is for you. Please receive it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound, dear church, in hope. For hope has come in Christ. Amen Amen. and amen. God bless you.